And we just acknowledge you here in this place this morning. Lord, thank you for the, the words of these songs. Um, Lord, that we know that in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, uh, Lord, you'll make a way. And that, that way may be eternity, Lord. But for those that have placed their trust in your son, that we know that our, our eternity and our hope is secure. And so our cry in this life can be greater you, Lord. And so thank you for the truth that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the name that is above every name is worthy to be worshiped and worthy to be praised. And so we give you our time this morning. Would you use your words this morning to speak to us, to impact the way we live, that we would look more like you, sound more like you, act more like you, and that the world would see you through the way in which we live. We love you, and we thank you for our time together this morning. We pray it in your son Jesus' holy name. Amen. <clears throat> well, you can be seated. Thanks, worship team. <clears throat> it was a privilege to have Pastor Steve back this week. It's a blessing to, <clears throat> to have him with us. Uh, well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open. We'll be in James chapter 3 this morning. We're going to continue our series, Is My Faith Working? Is My Faith Working? And so if you've been tracking along with us for the last few weeks, who, who's made it to all, all th- I'm just kidding, you don't have to answer that question. We won't, <laughs> we won't answer that. Uh, but if you've been tracking along with us, we've been answering this question, is my faith working? And, and so I, I think the reason that it's important to answer that question is because as you think of your own Christian life, Um, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but what is the goal of your Christian life? Like if somebody were to ask you, hey, hey, what's the goal of you being a Christian? And maybe some of you would say, well, my goal is just to get to heaven. And I would say, wrong. He paid for your sins and he made a way for you to enter into eternity the moment that you accepted him as Lord and Savior. And so what does the rest of your life look like? What is the goal of the rest of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? And so I think what we're after is maturity in Christ. And so maturity comes through, if you were tracking along, week one, right? What do we do in the midst of our suffering? What's our understanding of who God is and the way God works? And does he work transactionally? Do this for him and he'll give you this. Or does he work in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our difficulty? And so our response to that is ultimately our responsibility. And then last week we talked about what our motivation is, that we get so caught up in just doing things. And I think what James is doing in chapter two is he's trying to fix your eyes on what Christ has done for you. And if you'll fix your eyes on that, then again, your motivation will take care of the rest. And so as you fix your eyes on his mercy, his grace, his love, then maturation in Christ can take place and it becomes less about what we do and more about who we're reflecting. And so this week we'll be in James chapter three because maturity is also developed by what we say. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but James chapter 3 is the longest extended section on our speech in the New Testament. And so what this should do is also just speak to you in in light of what we talked about last week, that we get so caught up in doing things, and James actually has more to say about what you say and less about what you do. And there's a reason and a purpose for that this morning, and he's going to begin chapter 3 in verse 1, if you have it there, it says, my brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. You know, the the average person speaks between five and 10,000 words a day. Isn't that crazy? Between five and 10,000 words a day. And so here's what I want to do. 
I want to help us this morning in light of what we're saying as it relates to maturation in Christ Jesus. But before I do that, I just want to, like, so that's, that's over here, okay? Over here, I just want to, like, rant for a second because I think we need to dispel a notion because I think you'll read verse 3 and you'll say, well, some people are teachers, and so that's not necessarily for me. And then while that may be true that there may be a role of teacher that's given in the New Testament, I personally think everyone has a responsibility. And, and in fact, if you looked at your life, you are teaching those in your life by the words that you say. And so whether it's your coworkers, whether it's your family and friends, whether it's your enemies, whoever it is that is in your life, you are teaching them by the words that you say. And so there's this misnomer in the Christian circle that you walk in that says that it's only about the things that you do and not about the words that you say. I think it was, um, it it may have been uh, St. Francis who said, minister to people and if you must use words. Minister to people and if you must Use words, and, and, and as I evaluate that statement, I just gotta be honest with you this morning, I, 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 I reject that statement because that's, that's just certainly not true, that the gospel, that Christianity has never only been about what you do, and you'll hear people say this all the time, well, I just, I share the gospel through the way that I live, and I would say amen to that. Like, I, I certainly think that you should represent Christ's character in the things that you do, but more than that, I think you should represent Christ's character through the words that you say. Because Romans is going to make it very clear to us that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And how will they hear unless somebody speaks? And so in in your own life, I just want you to take inventory for a second. And I I just want to, again, break that misnomer this morning. If you've thought, I don't have to say anything on behalf of Christ Jesus. One, because you already are saying things. And so two, then what we have to do as Christians is believe the fact that he has commissioned us to speak on his behalf. It's vital that we use our words this morning, but it is also true that we must be careful in the manner in which we use our words. Look at verse two of chapter three. Here's what James says. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Isn't this interesting? That What James is saying is he's saying the tongue is the key to bridling the rest of your body. And then maybe you've thought it's been opposite for, for the length of time you've been a Christian, that really, uh, if I can control the things I do, then I'll be able to control the things I say. And James says that if you can control the tongue, then you can control the rest of the body. But look down at verse six. Here's what he says. The later half of verse six says, the tongue is so set among its members that it defiles the whole body. And so you're going to get this tension that exists in chapter 3 where James is really addressing the words that we say, and he's saying you've got to control your tongue. You've got to bridle your tongue, because if you can control your tongue, then you stand a chance at controlling the rest of your body. If you don't control your tongue, you don't stand a chance at controlling the rest of your body. So that's what I want. I just want to dispel the misnomer. If you've ever thought that, like you read James 3 and you're like, not many become teachers. I think there's validity to that, that those who have been called to progress, that's one of the things that humbles me the most, is, is standing up here and knowing full well that I will give an account for the words in which I said. And so there's something sobering about that for those that have been called to teach the word of God, but don't ever get it mistaken in thinking you haven't been called to proclaim what God's done in your life. And so I I hope if if nothing else this morning, you just leave with, I I should speak on behalf of the Lord. I hope you'll filter that through the lens 
of James chapter 3. But I hope you'll begin to speak on his behalf. How will they know? You can do good things till the cows come home. And people just, oh, there's a nice person. But unless you speak the reason that you're doing these things, then I think we're doing a disservice to the gospel. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple of filters or questions to ask yourself as it relates to your speech, really trying to answer this question this week. Who's in control? Who's, who's in control? Because as we'll see through this text, that all of this, all the language James is going to use is predicated on who's ultimately driving the, the force behind whatever it is that you're doing, the words that you speak, the things that you do. And so uh, look at verse 3 through 5 with me. Here's what he has to say. He uses two examples this morning. Verse 3, it says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires, even so the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. So we see these two examples that James is going to use. He's going to use bits in horses' mouths. If any of you are familiar with the way horses work, you can control a large animal by putting a bit in its mouth. It was pretty incredible. And you can also control a gigantic ship with a small rudder. And so what James is doing is he's saying this imagery is applicable to you as it relates to your tongue. Because albeit a small member, it boasts great things. Again, if you can control your tongue, then you stand a chance at controlling the rest of your body. But here's what's interesting about this imagery. If you think about horses and ships for a second, they both have to battle external circumstances. Do they not? And so, so you have this, this wild beast, this huge horse that has a wild nature within it. And yet by putting a bit in its mouth, you can control where it goes. And a ship is the same way, that left unruttered, it's susceptible to the winds that are blowing and the waves that are crashing. And the same is true for you this morning. That, that uh, if you're in Christ Jesus, you still have an old nature, a wild nature that's going to battle against the things that you say. And at times you'll find yourself prompted to say things that may not be consistent with the character of God. Or you'll find yourself blown and swayed by the winds of this world and the waves of this world. And so I think it's important as we read the imagery from James this morning, horses, bits in their mouths, and rudders on ships, that we begin to take control of the environments that we put ourselves in and be coherent of the nature that exists within you and knowing full well that if you're not careful, this old nature will begin to show itself through the words that you say. And so the words that you say oftentimes will be dictated by the environment you place yourself in, the people you surround yourself with, or the things that you consume. And so maybe you just take inventory of your life this morning and you would say, yeah, when I put myself in certain environments, when I get around that old friend group, or whenever I'm in this particular location, or when I'm consuming this content, then my words begin to reflect the nature that's not necessarily who I am that's been made new in Christ Jesus. And so the, the imagery is true for us as well today. The wild nature of a horse and the susceptibility of a ship to external circumstances is applicable for us. And we have to be mindful of those things 
in the words in which we're saying. That's the vitality of controlling the tongue is because it's a small member and it boasts great things. And, and, and again, the reason that's true this morning, we could take a poll and it would probably be true for you too. We could probably say, hey, who's been hurt by somebody's actions in this room? And maybe a good portion of us would say, yeah, I've been hurt by what someone did. But I think more applicable to us is who's been hurt by words that someone has said. Words leave a lasting impact. And we'll see that in our text this morning. So, so we see the, the importance of taming the tongue. It's a small member. It boasts great things. But ultimately, where does James leave it? He says, who's in control? Right? Because as a bridle is in the, the mouth of a horse, and who's directing where that horse goes? Who's controlling the bridle? It's whoever's riding the horse. Or a rudder on a ship steering it wherever the captain wants it to go. Wherever the pilot desires. That's the way James puts it. In verse four, so we see the importance of taming the tongue. And so I, this morning, I wanna give you two filters or two questions to ask yourself as it's related to who's in control of your tongue based upon the text here in James chapter three. One is ask yourself the question, are my words helpful? Are my words helpful? And the second is, are my words consistent? Are my words helpful and are my words consistent? Let's go down to verse five together and read. James says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. He says, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles. Verse six, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Strong language from James. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So first question to ask yourself this morning, are my words helpful? Are my words helpful? James is gonna use the imagery of fire here. The the, the tongue is, is is used at times, and it's, it's similar to a fire that can set a blaze. So just you know, picture in your mind a forest fire and how that forest fire begins with such a small spark. And so are my words helpful? Because the truth of the matter is that fire can be helpful. Can it not at times? Like for those of you who enjoy cooking, for those of you who enjoy staying warm in the winter, like fire has its uses and it has its benefits when it's under control. And when it's in the right environment, and when it's tempered. And so the same is going to be true for our words. That uncontrolled words are like an uncontrolled fire that ultimately can do more harm than they do good. And think about the way a fire works. That oftentimes what happens is a spark begins, it's set ablaze, and then do you see the damage that's caused by that fire immediately? Usually not. I think about watching the news over the past couple of years and, and all the wildfires that have existed and it's just an ongoing cycle. Is it not that the next day more acreage has burned and the next day more acreage has burned and, and it goes on for weeks. And again, the same is true for 
our words, that sometimes an idle word or sometimes a misspoken word or sometimes a joke that was meant uh, just in light or in fun turns into a word that someone really dictates their future with. And you don't see the implications of that. You don't see the damage of that until way down the line, if ever. And then what happens? When a fire consumes a forest, the cleanup takes forever. Does it not? Restoration is not immediate. And the same is true in our relationships, that if we're not careful, right, we'll, we'll set ablaze a relationship. We'll set ablaze a friendship. And we won't be able to restore or recoup what's been lost. Are my words helpful or are they hurtful? Are they doing more good or are they doing more damage? I think of uh, my, my daughter uh, was watching, this was you know, a week or two ago, and uh, she wanted to watch The Incredibles. And so any of you who have seen The Incredibles know the storyline of The Incredibles. And, uh, you know, there's, there's the scene where Mr. Incredible is reminiscing. Uh, this, this might be Incredibles too. Uh, I forget the, the guy with the spiky hair, whatever his name was, that um, his name was Buddy as a kid. What was his, what was his uh, syndrome? It was syndrome, that's right. <clears throat> yeah, it was syndrome. And so he's with syndrome, right? And he's reminiscing and, and uh, the, the little boy is sitting in the, in the passenger chair. They're outside of the car on the sidewalk. And you remember what Mr. Incredible says because this little boy just wants to be just like Mr. Incredible. He's got his whole life ahead of him and he's really looking forward to doing great things like this person that he's looked up to. And all Mr. Incredible says is, go home, buddy. I work alone. And, and, and think of the damage that that caused. Not, not only the trauma that that caused Buddy at the time, but then the repercussions down the line because this, this little boy goes on to be syndrome and he ultimately wants to provide good, but he does that by providing destruction to so many people. If we're not careful, our words do the same. We don't think about them. They proceed from our mouth. They hurt someone and that one person begins to hurt many people. And it all began with a word that was spoken by us. So are my words helpful? But I think if you take it a step further, the question that you can ask is, are my words helpful for what? Like, is it just a broad general statement that my, I just, my words need to be helpful? Maybe helpful for the other person? Are they helpful for me and feeling better? Like, how are we going to categorize this? And all throughout the New Testament, you see that the priority of Jesus Christ is building his church. It's the edification of the believers. In Ephesians 4:29, Paul puts it this way. I think we have this verse back there. Yeah, Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so you can ask yourself that question this morning. Are my words helpful for the building up of the body of Christ? And if they're not, then don't say them. And I think that's a sobering question to ask because, again, we get it so confused sometimes in thinking that life is about a whole bunch of other things. And really, if you simplify it, what Christ is doing is he is building his church and he's allowed us to participate in it. And, and the book of Proverbs is going to say that life and death are found in the power of the tongue. And listen to me this morning. I don't have the power to control life and death. And so it's vital for me to be connected to the one who can. Who's in control? Are my words helpful? For the building up of the body 
of Christ. Remember the context of this book. We talked about the context of James, that it's easy to read James and point fingers at other people. And James uses the word you throughout his book. It's for the reader. It's for me this morning. Take inventory of my words. So flippant, five to 10,000 words a day. How many of those words are building up the body of Christ? And how many of those words, if they're not building up, maybe you think they're, they're of no effect, but what you think is no effect may be tearing down to someone else. It says your tongue is like a fire. It'll easily consume. It'll set it ablaze. And it's set on fire by hell. Notice what he says in verse 7. It says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Isn't this incredible? That when you take a wild animal and you tame it, you get a helpful helpmate, right? Like a horse can help get you where you want to go. You put a bridle in its mouth and tame it. And fire's the same way. Under control, it can be a great help, but untamed, it's a great hurt. The same's true of our tongue. Your word's helpful this morning. I think the second question we can ask this morning is, are my words consistent? Are my words consistent? Let's look at verse nine together. Verse nine says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same Opening, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Anybody ever been guilty of being duplicit in the way you talk? Right? I'm sure you've experienced I think we all have. I think we're all honest with each other this morning. We've all been in this situation. Right, where we come into the house of God and, and, and we say the things that check the boxes and we want everyone to know how great we are and good we are and then we leave here. I, I read a story this week of a, of a dad who um, right, had come in to church and sang the songs and amened in the message and did all the things uh, and he had a young daughter with him and then they went out to eat afterwards and on the way to the restaurant, all the dad could do was complain about, well, the, the, the music was like, I, I didn't hear the the electric guitar enough, and it was uh, way too soft in this point, or it was way too loud in this point, and uh, the message just, uh, like, the, the guy uh, drank water too much, and all he was doing was complaining. And then they got to the restaurant, and his daughter asked him the question. She was like, because uh, then he prays for the meal. He said, Lord, thank you for this meal. Bless it. Help us to have a good day. And so after the prayer, the daughter's like, Dad, do you think, the do do you think God heard your prayer? And he's like, yeah, he definitely heard my prayer. And she's like, do you think he heard your complaining? And he's like, I would suppose so. She's like, well, which one do you think he was listening to? And then the truth is that he, he was listening to both, and what that does is it reveals the hypocritical nature that's within us, because we've all been guilty of that, have we not? And so asking yourself this question, are my words consistent? Your character is revealed through the words that you say. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so again, I think there's a, a misnomer in our day and age that actions, this, this idea that actions speak louder than words. Actions may very well speak louder than words, but sometimes they're not saying the same thing. And so the question for you to ask this morning is, are my words consistent? Consistent with what? Consistent with the character and nature of God. 
Because a word may be true, but it may be unrelated to his nature or his character. I think this is applicable for, for teenagers and young people too, because if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in environments, right, as you progress through your life where people will put the pressure on you to say things about people who don't look like you and act like you. And so you'll want to be a part of the quote-unquote popular crowd, and something may very well be true, like, like there are groups in high school and middle school, and so somebody may not be a part of that group, and so it may be true that they may have some oddities about them or they have some insecurities about them, but listen to me, you don't have to say anything about that because that's inconsistent with the character of God. God knows every one of your flaws, and does he make it known publicly? Does he make it known to everyone? No, he died so that you could have a relationship with him. He paid for him on the cross. And so are our words consistent with his nature and with his character? And maybe you'd sit there this morning and you'd say, well, yeah, my, my words are consistent with his nature and his character publicly, but are they consistent with his character and his nature privately? I think this is where we get ourselves into trouble sometimes because we have, we have a close group of friends that we surround ourselves with, right? And we'd say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to vocalize that or say that or put this person down publicly, but in my private circle, right, we'll, we'll gossip about what's going on. And we'll say mean things about people, but, it, but it'll never leave this circle. And listen, this is what James is doing because he says that your actions follow your words because as you speak in that private circle, I promise you it's affecting the way you treat those people. And so more than anything, Right? In my own life, I've resolved to do, to do this too, just to take inventory of the words not only I'm saying publicly, but the words I'm saying privately as well. I, I think about it this way. Like some people, well, it's just a thought. It's just a thought that's come into my mind. Thoughts are just unspoken words. Are they not? And so, and so Paul makes it clear. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take every thought captive. Are my words spoken publicly and spoken privately consistent? with the character and with the, the nature of God. This is also the way, if you read the New Testament, this is the way Jesus combated the Pharisees. Is it not? This is, it, all throughout his time with them, he's, he's rebuking them. And, and he's rebuking them at moments for the things that they are doing, but the overarching theme of the Pharisees' life is they rejected the Christ. And so the things that they were doing weren't consistent with what they were saying, with the nature and with the character of who God had revealed himself to be. And so all throughout the New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, they make it clear that it's not only about what we do, but it's about the things that we say. The, the, only, the only tangible, I've, I've thought a lot about this in my own life too, and I've shared it with a few people. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating thought as it relates to our daily life, our only tangible relationship with Jesus Christ is with his body, is, is with the body of believers. Does that make sense? Like, like you don't have a physical, tangible relationship with Jesus. You can't physically touch him. He's not physically here to physically speak to you. But the way in which he's set it up is that we, we serve him, we love him, we care for him by serving, loving, and caring for his body which is the body of Christ. And so what James is gonna say is the man who out of, uh, out of the ground, right, comes fresh water and salt water. So it's inconsistent. 
It looks weird, right, to say, yeah, I love God and to hate people. It's the two greatest commandments. They're tied together. It ought not to be this way. Are my words consistent? And the only way they'll be consistent with his character and his nature is if he's in control. Because if left to my own, my words will be inconsistent with his nature and with his character. Why? Because I have a wild nature, sinful nature that's still at play in my life. And so I've got to consistently lay that at the feet of Jesus and ask the Lord, would you make my words consistent with who you are? This is also the difference between expectation and reality. Again, in verse 11, right, what, is, what does he say? He says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? You just imagine for a second, place yourself here and imagine walking by the road. Again, we, we said it would look weird, right? You have a spring and, and out of it comes fresh water and salt water. And so think about your relationships in your life, those that are around you, those that know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm sure they have an expectation for what they're gonna hear from you. Knowing what they know, what they probably know about who Christ is, they probably have an expectation. Just like if fresh water was coming forth from a spring, right, that's very refreshing. It's nourishing. And so if you begin to drink that and then all of a sudden, right, you get some salt water, that's not refreshing. It's bitter. And I think this is so relatable to our relationships in our lives. Because sometimes, think about it this way, sometimes people look at your life and they expect to bite into a chocolate chip cookie and then you speak and it's an oatmeal raisin cookie. Everyone knows the disappointment that comes whenever you, you think it's one thing and it's actually something different. Maybe it's vice versa for some people. They like oatmeal raisin and it's actually chocolate chip. But the same is true with the words that you speak, the relationships that you have in your life that people expect knowing what they know about Christ. I, I know Christ, he, he, he died, or he, so he must be sacrificial, so he must be loving. And then they hear you speak, and it's condemning, and it's selfish. It's fresh water, it's salt water, coming forth from the same opening. It ought not to be this way. Or, or the opposite is true. Think about it. Where, where, where maybe somebody has the perception of who Christ is as, as condemning and judgmental, and you have an opportunity to speak and provide refreshing and nourishing words for them that truly reflect, that are consistent with the nature and the character of who God is. But it's all dependent, as James articulates, it's all dependent on the source. What's the source? Who's in control? So you think about the words that you speak on a daily basis. Who's the driving force behind them? So I'm gonna invite the team back up. Here's, here's where I want us to to finish this week, as you think about those two questions, are they consistent and are my words helpful? And here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask you to evaluate whether both are true before you speak a word. Evaluate whether both are true. Because if you've been in a situation before where you've had a loved one that's passed away and somebody has said something like, they're in a better place or I'm sorry for your loss, sometimes those words are consistent with his nature but they're not helpful. They're not helpful in the moment for the building up of the body of Christ. Or the opposite is true. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's correction. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness that's built up within you. And you would say, this is helpful for me, 
because it solves a need that I have in my life, I've got to talk about these things. I've got to surround myself with people that we can talk about other people. But it's certainly not consistent with his nature or character. Or maybe you're, a, you're just an overarching pessimist. My wife tells me sometimes, because I, I do the thing where I'm like, no, I'm just a realist. And she's like, no, sometimes you're a pessimist. And so I've had to evaluate my own words. Are the things that I'm saying, are, are, are sometimes the pessimistic things that I say, are they necessary? Are they helpful? Are they consistent with the nature and character of God for the building up of the body of Christ? And the answer to that question is no. So would you take inventory of your words this morning? Are they helpful? Are they consistent? Again, you see, we're, we're all teachers, or we should be teaching some people in our life. And the truth is, another sobering reality is that you'll give an account for the words that you speak. Jesus makes that clear in Matthew 12. And so that should sober you this morning, that the things that you say, you will give an account for. You'll stand before the judgment seat, and you'll give an account for the things that you say. And so verse 8 of chapter 3 is going to say, no man can tame the tongue. And that's true for you, and it's true for me this morning, that no man can tame the tongue. But there was one who did tame it his tongue. You can, you can listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah uh, 50, and it's found uh, in verse 4. Here's what the prophet says. He says, the Lord God has given me, talking about Jesus, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak. He's given him the tongue of the learned, that he should know how to speak. And so what's the answer this morning? Because the truth is, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're thinking about this this morning, you're like, I know I say a lot of bad things in my life. Maybe you're watching online, and you're like, my words are, I'm spewing filth to those that are around me, and I don't know how to stop it. Well, neither do I. But I know one who can. And so as I trust, and as I believe, and as I submit and surrender to him, then he can have his way in and through me. And my words become helpful and my words become consistent with his nature and with his character. If, if you know, there's an, there's an old, I uh, don't know what he does, but his name's Malcolm Gladwell. I think he writes books. And he came up with the 10,000 hour rule. But if you want to master something, and people have debated this, like is it really 10,000 hours? Can you do it in less time? But the principle remains true that if, if you want to get good at anything, then you've got to be consistent in doing it. And I think sometimes, we, like, we come into this place, and I think about this often, that we, we expect something new. Give, give me the five ways that I can control my tongue. Give me the, the three things that I can say that will help me in my daily life and not saying terrible things to people. And I don't have it for you. But what I have is the Word of God, and what he says is let him be in control. It's as simple as that. And so if you want his words to become your words, you've got to spend time with him. If you want his character to be revealed through your words, then you have to know his character. And the only way to know his character is to spend time with him. And so would you do that this morning? And in the most practical way that I can, here's what I would leave you with. That this morning and throughout this week, you can pray what we find the psalmist praying in Psalm 139 and Psalm 141. So I'm gonna read these for you. This is Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Would you pray that this morning? Lord, search my heart and know me because the truth is that your tongue's connected to your heart 
So if you've got a bad tongue, you've got a bad heart. He can fix it this morning. And the psalmist in chapter 141, he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Would you pray that this morning? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Set a guard over my mouth. Are my words helpful for the building up of the body of Christ? Are my words consistent with his nature and his character? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for just how they speak to us and how they're true. And I pray that you would use us as a mouthpiece for you. I pray that people's opinions and their, their idea of who you are would be formed and shaped not only by the things that we do, but by the words that we say. And that we'd be careful not to be those who are labeled as gossipers, as, as angry people, as condemning people, as pessimistic people. But Lord, would you help us in taming our tongue that it would control the rest of our body. Help our words to be helpful. Help our words to be consistent. Search our heart and know us, Lord, and set a guard over our lips. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.